Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's history. It's history. Very dark history. It's history. Our history, very, 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 very dark history. We spend our whole life learning our history and stuff. It's history. Finding the truth abounding with menches and schmucks. It's history. Research is our true desire. Go down the rabbit hole. Give knowledge to inspire, discussing comic gold. Learn about facts on our podcast, sharing history is our goal. Have a few laughs with our podcast, infotainment for your soul. Skip to the past on our podcast, talking about the rabbit hole. Musical History Podcast. Knowing the truth will make you whole. Here we are, another episode of Talking Musical History, our podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. It's good to have you guys back. I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite producers, uh, directors, writers... Uh, creative geniuses creative geniuses mel mel brooks mel brooks i i don't know about uh, uh most of you people out there but i have always been a big fan of um like monty python and dr demento because <laughs> like he has always been one of my uh, uh filmmaking favorites through time, uh, the more that I learn about him, the more that I realize that he is just like really good at his craft. He was born Melvin Kaminsky, but goes by Mel Brooks. I could not imagine the world without the producers. Yeah, you tell me about it. Well, I mean, not not just the producers, right? It's responsible for so many things, like Young Frankenstein, also yeah. on Broadway, right? Yeah. Yes, it was on Broadway. I mean, like, uh, um, I think it's it terrific. Yeah, and well, and you know, Mel, like, what, uh, um, did like stuff before that, before even yeah. like on Broadway. Like, musical theater writer Ken Mandelbaum. Ooh, Ken Mandelbaum, that's a great name. Said that Mel Brooks writing the book for the 1962 show. All American 
with Lee Adams and Charles Strauss, who were also famous for Bye Bye Birdie. We love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. We, don't we know love you, Conrad. Oh, we're true. <laughs> when we're not near us, we're, we're blue. blue. Oh, oh Conrad, Conrad, we love you. you. We may talk about Bye Bye Birdie. And no, no, we'll definitely talk about Bye Bye Birdie. I'm just uh, making fun of the... the <laughs> bye Bye Bloody. Bye Bye Bloody Birdie. Bye Bye Bloody Birdie. Bye Bye Bloody Birdie. We really hate you. Based on the Robert Louis Taylor's novel Professor Fedorsky in 1950, the Broadway production is set in a world where science and sports collide in this colossal flop with unfavorable reviews and only 80 performances at the historic Winter Garden Theater. Wait, wait, wait. So All-American was a flop? Doesn't stop there. Oh, no. It doesn't stop there. (laughs) Starring Ray Bulger, better known for 1939 Wizard of Oz, is the Scarecrow who had not been in front of audiences in decades. Oh. With faded glory, Max uh, um, is basically Ray. He's not, though. He's not. You, 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 you know who Max Bialystok actually is, right? Right. So I think he's a combination of Ray Bulger at this time. He used to be the king the king of all Broadway. Is that is that who uh, Mel Brooks used to work for? No, because there's someone else that comes into the picture that actually used to have little ladies come by. Yeah, that's who. That's yeah. that's Max Bialystok. Like he 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 said in interviews. No, no, that's what I'm saying. From before I did the 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 watching of the video mm-hmm. that talks about Mel Brooks saying where Max Bialystok basically came from going from the all American being a flop. No, I mean, there's, there's probably truth to that, but I mean, like he, like when he was 16, he lived through that too. Right. right. I mean, he, he worked for a producer that literally stooped 80 year old octogenarians, right? octogenarians and, and uh, um, had them write checks out to cash. And and I would assume that that guy did terrible shows. <laughs> like if if I tried to find his name, I couldn't. So when Mel Brooks was sixteen, he worked for a producer. But we don't know the name of that producer. That is correct. I didn't know it either. I looked and I didn't find it. Uh, pretty interesting because I, I I was trying to like like look back at like some of his because uh, you know you, we we know that he worked for uh, Get Smart. We know mm-hmm. that he worked with uh, um, Carl Reiner worked with all these like uh, greats from the past but it like there's seems to be very little on like like what his teenage years were like um probably need to, need to pick up his memoir see if we can find out who that producer we got to find out who that producer right. is right cuz i'm sure it's probably in mel brooks's like biography i mean i could be we could be wrong we have not read such a book yet we we may be inclined to read such a book now now that we've piqued our own interest. Yeah, no, definitely. It it, it seems pretty interesting because um, I never thought that Max Bialystok would be so specifically modeled after right a real person, and he he definitely was. I kind of had that thought, but I wasn't like sure because it just 
he seemed, I mean, Zero is larger than life. And his role was written basically for Zero. But specifically, uh, uh, Mel Brooks has said that like, because he picked him as the actor because of the way he could portray his memory of his old producer. Yeah. Specifically. So, I mean, like, that's that's saying something. I mean, yeah, like, obviously he had the acting style and the chops that would be able to pull it off. But at the same time, it, it, there's also a little bit of truth in there, yeah. um, which which really makes Gene Wilder even that much more cooler because he basically, like, created this thing out of nowhere and never intended to be a comedian. Right. And he was the reason that Zero Mustel even did it. Really? Yeah. At first, Zero did not want to follow up the Tevya, Tevya, Tevya. He, he didn't want to do it at first, um, you know, because it was like, you know, I don't want to be a, do a play about Hitler. They, they got Gene Wilder to do it, and they said, okay, you have to read your part. Zero won't do it. Read, read for him. And they fell, like, instantly in love when Gene Wilder read the part of Leo Bloom. And then he agreed to do it. He presented the, uh, uh, the, the, the script to Sidney Glazier, and Sidney was eating a tuna fish sandwich, and he was talking about how he got tuna fish everywhere, laughing so hard from his read of the, the script. I mean, like, uh, the, the producers is funny. It's just funny. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Sellers, you know, comic royalty. Yeah, you yeah, know. definitely. He saved, gave and granted life to the producers. How do you do that? Well, he was originally going to be Leo Bloom. That was the original thought that they had. That would have been interesting. It would have. I wonder how that would have looked. It wouldn't have been the same. Definitely not the same as Gene Wilder. I'm glad. Because what happened is that they sent it to him. Conversely, what would the Pink Panther be like if Gene Wilder... Gene Wilder. Alternate universes. I know, right? There's no way, no way for us to that happened to now. <laughs> Doctor Strange in the multiverse. They sent the script over to um, Peter Sellers. He didn't get it. Apparently, there's a mix-up somewhere in the communication. He didn't get it. And then there's this like movie night that he had where a bunch of people came over. They got stoned and um, you know watched movies and. And had food, and it was great. You know, a good little time, and you know. And this was much harder back then. This is not uh, back in the day of streaming, so. Right, right. It's, it's kind of a to do to be able to show uh, films in your home. This is a rich person. <laughs> yes. Very, very well off people. There was a mix-up in the tape, of like the the film, and. They just happened to have the producers before it was supposed to be shown, I guess. Okay. And because, you know, Peter Sellers, he has the connections. Like that, that, that's not something that easily can happen on accident. But. Right. <laughs> and they stumbled. They're like the producers. Okay, let's watch this. The, the one film didn't get ordered correctly or something like that. And so then they stumbled into the producers and Peter Sellers took out a full-page ad in, you know, newspaper, saying how great the producers was, and it was a stroke of genius and everything like that. And the whole it ran for a year. Oh wow! Because of Peter Sellers, Zero 
Zero Mostel. Oh my God. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His just, performance in the original producers. Brilliant. Um, like it's it, it's really kind of funny because I hadn't seen uh the 1968 version in a really long time, and like so we watched it together recently. Yeah. I had seen obviously the musical uh version like a bunch um since then and like it, it like the the performance i forget like especially gene wilder's performance but zero's performance they're both good at their craft like they're they these guys like i mean like gene wilder had just done <laughs> what we were talking about death of a salesman on tv like like serious actor and Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde and Death of a Salesman. Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, Clyde, yeah. Serious actor, producers. <laughs> I mean, like, thank goodness for Mel Brooks for, like, uh, giving us the ch- comic genius of Gene Wilder. Thank goodness. The world would not be as bright without the light of Gene Wilder. All the Richard Pryor movies that he was in with. Yeah, there's Silver Streak. Uh, um, there's what Stir Crazy. There's uh, uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil. Oh, right, with the, yeah. yeah, no. Uh, uh, Gene Wilder has uh, created a great body of comic. Lady in Red. Okay. Right, because it didn't actually have the song Lady in Red, which was really weird, because. Mm. It came out around there. There must have been something that happened around that. But anyway, we're not here talking about Gene Wilder's Lady in Red. We're here to talk about the incomparable Mel Brooks. Egotarians? Can you say that? Egotarians? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to start coining phrases. I mean, that's why I'm here. Just coining phrases left and right. Mel Brooks, the great Egotarian. (laughs) I was like, wait, do you mean Egotarian? No. Because he has an Emmy, a Grammy, a Tony, and an Oscar. Dude is brilliant. You know, I am super jealous of the man's life. Because at the early age of eight, you know, like in Mel Brooks, he was a huge fan of like uh, Buster Keaton films and uh, Charlie Chaplin films. And like, what a, what a, what a time to be alive in like New York uh, as a Jew, like growing up with like Neil Simon and Carl Reiner and like all these like greats, like so that you can like hone your craft and become amazing. His his uncle, he takes him in the in his taxi to see at the Alvin Theater the opening of Cole Porter's like Anything Goes opening weekend. Anything goes right with Ethel Merman. Anything goes. <laughs> Ethel Merman on stage, like, like of, of course Mel Brooks turned out the way he did. Of course he did. Like, if he hadn't, society would have been truly broken, right? It it, it is broken for so many, but like, if 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 you can't get lightning out of that, then like, there's something wrong with the world. Anything goes is classic and amazing, and so is Ethel Merman. Exactly, and then like like just growing around like all those great films of the time, like silent films, like like you can see it in his work too, you know, like that Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton style, uh, silent like movie, Marx Brothers, and, yeah, yep, like this experience, like I said, like it was a huge part, I would assume, of like getting him out of what he thought was his destined career to be a cutter in the garment sector. Oy vey. <laughs> or oy gavolt. 
one of, one of my favorite stories that he he tells is like uh, the first time that he actually uh, got to act in his in his teenage years. You know, when he's about like fifteen years old, and whatnot was living in the same neighborhood as Don Appel, who's an actor on Broadway, right? And so Don Appel brought uh, young Mel Brooks to the Butler Lodge. He's, he was hired to be a rowboat tender, a busboy, and a utility actor, or basically a stand-in, right? I think one of the best ways he tells it is his interview on Jibber Jabba with Conan O'Brien, so uh, definitely check that out. Okay, so Mel Brooks is working on Thomas Jobs' play Uncle Harry, and this is before it went on Broadway. So Burt Reed is the actor who uh, um, is playing the lawyer. He falls in a hole, and then they're like, well, you know, Mel's the understudy. He's the utility actor. We should probably utilize him, right? Uh, they, they, they do all these things to, like, you know, try to make him look as old as possible, and it's great. He sounds convincing backstage. It's terrific. They put him out on stage. He gets out on stage. He sees all those people. Got a little stage fright. And like silence, and he like walks to center stage and like takes off the wig, and he's like, "It's my first time on stage," and like everybody busts out laughing, and he's just like, "Oh, I could, I could probably do this, right?" <laughs> and then like the director is just like furious because he's like, "I'm trying to get on Broadway here." It's really cool to be in the right place at the right time, and also like uh, uh, sometimes you just gotta milk your moment and have fun. The uh, him and Carl Reiner created the comic character. The two thousand year old man. Yeah, two thousand year old man. And yeah, yeah. Buck Henry, you know, and get smart. I mean, it, it was brilliant. I mean, the first movie I saw of him probably had to have been uh, Spaceballs. Oh, the first movie you saw Mel Brooks is Spaceballs. Yeah, that's a that's a good movie to start off with. You know, we've been jammed. Uh, what, uh, yeah. Like with the raspberry, was it a raspberry jam? I don't know. I don't remember. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. That was yeah, yeah. We're men in tights. We're men in tights. 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 We, 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 we roam, roam around the forest looking for fights. <laughs> in Blazing Saddles was was genius and history of the world. And and we did we stumbled upon a movie in our research. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That we will definitely talk more about in our second part of the producers. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. To be or not to be. That is the movie we are going to talk about. To Be or Not To Be, actually, it's really interesting, the story around, like, To Be or Not To Be and the producers. Spoiler alert. Both have Nazis. They both have Nazis. Who knew? It's the producers part 1.5. I know. It's like he he's just, like, really working on the iteration of the producers, like, pretty much every time. <laughs> I mean, and plus, with Anne Bancroft... Yeah, she's terrific in this. I am a strong believer in true love. The sweethearts of Mel and Dan. Mel Brooks yeah, pr- pursued his true love, Anna Maria Luisa Italiano, known to us as Anne Bancroft, star of To Be or Not To Be and The Graduate. And, uh, um, you know, he was initially uh, married before that to Florence Baum. Uh, sorry, Flo. Uh, but, like, it wasn't really meant to be with her, obviously. Uh, but Anne and Mel uh, together was the universe basically writing itself um, and grew together and, until, you know, Anne passed, passed in 2005, 1961, at a taping of Perry Comer TV special. Anne was preparing for the show, and Mel Brooks 
awe drawn to the sweet sound of her voice, journeying to listen to her rehearse. He was drawn into her beautiful eyes and sweet voice and knew it was kismet, luck manifested. So Mel was in love and still was in love with Anne Bancroft. You can literally hear it when he talks about it. At, at the end of the Destin 1961 rehearsal, he yells out, Anne Bancroft, I love you. And she yells back, who are you? He yells back at her, I'm Mel Brooks. And she yells back at him, I have your record. Every night after the first meeting, Mel tries to be where Anne is. He was, he, so basically he would accidentally, once again, show up and, and run into her, right? Don't, don't worry, kids. Back then, this was called courting. It wasn't like uh, any sort of like uh, 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 stalking or anything like that. And anyway, she, she definitely wanted him around. Obviously, they, they stayed married until she passed, you know. Uh, uh, that being said, um, no means no. You know, don't don't be following people, folks. You know, like uh, no means no. So, uh, so, so uh, if your flirtations are rejected, don't be Steve Urkel, be a Stefan Urkel. Anne knew it was love too, and they were married in 1964, three years later, and stayed together until Bancroft passed. Seriously, if someone wants to make a movie about this, like like the story of Anne and Mel, I think that would be an amazing thing. I, one of her quotes like uh, made me made me uh, giggle. She said, "I'd never had so much pleasure with a human being, so I think you have to marry for the right reasons, and marry the right person." Perfect love story. Like you want, if you want to promote love, there it is, right there. The love of Melanie, <laughs> with pleasure. First, when Mel had the idea, uh, he, he thought maybe he would make it a book, but he thought, Springtime for Hitler. Uh, but the dialogue was obviously too heavy. Uh, then he thought it might make it into a play, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, the, the show is all over the place, right? Like, I mean, like, as a modern musical, it definitely works because you have all the new technology that makes it easier to move things in and out. Like Bialystok's office, you have the opening night scene, you have the uh, um, fountain scene. Lincoln, Lincoln Center. Yeah, moving to the producer's big number, like I want to be a producer, and then before that, the unhappy, like in the what what, in the, what Holland Marks, like there, there's like just that show is like constantly moving from scene to scene, and that's how that's basically how the producers became a movie for a guy who uh, never made a film in his life, turning a movie that had a little singing into a full-on musical, to movie musical. Oh. So it all started, Harvey Weinstein. I mean, you know. Very dark history. It's true, but he's not Hitler. There's a big difference between Harvey Weinstein and Hitler. Though I have to say, to the people that he's terrorized, probably not that much of a difference. Uh, And, you know, that's not to belittle, like, any of the sort of uh, grief that Harvey Weinstein has caused. But, like, uh, you know... um, uh, there were no concentration camps, so that's a positive, right? Um, Weinstein approached Brooks to make it into a musical in 2001. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? By 2005, he'd changed his mind. Being in the theater for that musical, I think, probably was something amazing. Live reaction to that, which, you know, you, you would never get from the original movie. But, I mean, the original movie is terrific, and, like, that... Yeah. 
um, is what allowed all of this to happen. Gene Wilder in the scene where like freaks out about the blue blanket. I'm wet and I'm in pain. Was thinking that Zero Mustel grabbed his dog for the motivation for how he acted with his blue blanket. Alfred Hitchcock. Mel Brooks wrote High Anxiety with Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, uh, Mel goes to Alfred and he's like, hey, you know, I'm writing this uh, this movie about, you know, like, kind of like the, the stuff you do and whatnot, you know, like as an, an homage to, to your, your filmmaking. And he... Like Hitchcock, like looks at the script and he's like, "Hey, you know, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come back to my home every Friday around noon, and we're gonna work on the script, all right?" And like that—that's incredible, right? He makes the movie and he does a screening for Hitchcock. He's sitting in the—he's sitting in the movie theater with Alfred Hitchcock, and they watch the movie, you know. And he's like watching Hitchcock. Does he like it? Does he not like it? I don't know what's going on. Film ends. Hitchcock stands up, he walks by him, doesn't say a word, doesn't say a word to him, walks by. Mel's like, what, did I do something wrong? Is it awful? Did he not like it? Did I offend him? Like, what? what's wrong? What's wrong with the film, right? What's wrong with Hitchcock? What's wrong with my movie? Dun, 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 dun. So Mel was filled with worry. Did he like it? Did he not like it? Was he embarrassed? It was dedicated to the master of suspense, the great Alfred Hitchcock. The next day, Mel gets a wooden case. Chateaubriand, 1961. Six bottles with the note. No need to have any anxiety. It's a wonderful film. Love, Hitch. Now you're blessed with success. The master of suspense does it again, right? He made him wait for it. And you'll have to wait for more TMH after this message. In addition to Mel Brooks, the the other linchpin in this movie being made. Who who are we talking about? Zero Zero Mustel, born in. 1915 as Samuel Joel Mostel, but went by zero, partially because when he was a child, his mother was afraid he wouldn't amount to anything. Oh, that's mean. Zero. You'll amount to zero. (laughs) That's a rough mother. So we turn that scarred past into his star future. (laughs) Oh, look at that. And he went on to make American history, American musical theater history, American Jewish history, American history. I mean, he's a comic legend. He was blacklisted for a while, unfortunately. He had to testify, and we'll get into that later. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Which he originated the role. I think definitely. Like uh, uh, Waiting for Godot. Which... He originated the role. I know. He did that a lot. Oh. And Tevia. Tevia. Rich man. And we will definitely talk about Fiddler on the Roof at a later point in time. Fiddler on the Roof. Both Nathan Lane and Zero Mostel won for Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, 
as Pseudolus, the slave, both won the Tony for that role. Zero won it in 63, and of course, Nathan Lane won it in 96. They both played Max Bialystok, and they were both in waiting for Godot as Estragon. There's there's some ties and some history. Yeah, it's like easy linkings. Yeah. <laughs> Zero Mostel actually um got was hit by a bus. That happened in 1960. So it gave him probably health problems, huh, for the last yeah. few years of his like last couple like decade and a half of his life. And so each time he'd have to, you know, record, he'd have to be more sitting down at times cuz his leg would hurt him too much. And he actually died. He was the only person in Muppet history to record an episode of The Muppet Show and then die before the airing of the show. This is really sad, but I mean, like, you know, you get hit by a bus. Macabre Facts, brought to you by Talking Musical History Podcast. September 8th, 1977. Mostel, another link from the last episode that we talked about, was the Rent episode, and Zero Mostel actually died in a very similar way. He was rehearsing The Merchant. Oh, wow. For Arnold Wesker. Okay, okay. It was a Zero Mostel reimagining version of Shakespeare's character Shylock. Oh, cool. And so they're rehearsing this in September 8th, 1977, Zero complains of dizziness and loss of consciousness, and then he just dies. It is believed that he suffered an aortic aneurysm. Wesker wrote about this in his book, The Birth of Shylock and the Death of Zero Mostel. Yeah, yeah. Once again, that's the same way that uh, Jonathan Larson passed. And, like, we were talking about how, like, sad it is because, like, it seems like potentially that that they should have picked it up if they, you know, took the time to actually examine him instead of like sending him on his way. Uh, but that's, you know, we we just have to do a better job of helping each other out. There was a show that was called Ulysses from James Joyce's novel, and he actually played Leo Bloom. Oh wow! So they. Was it was the character very similar? Or? Mel Brooks actually always thought of Leah Bloom as a Jew with curly hair. So that's why. A curly-headed redhead. He brought in the great Gene Wilder, otherwise known as Jerome Silberman, his birth name. So another Jewish gem who changed their name due to anti-Semitism <laughs> once again. Yeah, uh... Gene Wilder was born in 1933 on June 11th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But he lived a life of pure Hollywood glory. And he unfortunately died in 2016 from cancer. Gene lived a really great life. I mean, like, all of a sudden, he lives this life beyond stage. He's going to be remembered. I originated the role of iconic characters. Dr. Franken Frankenstein. Richard Pryor's right-hand man. He was Jim, the Waco kid in 
Blazing Saddles, Leo Bloom in The Producers. Yeah, Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yeah, Willy Wonka, definitely. If you want to view Paradise, which we will talk about as well, we will definitely talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So we will definitely be revisiting Gene Wilder again for that in the future. Yeah, and his, his last performance was in 2003 as a guest on Will and Grace, for which he received an Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actor. Ah, go on. That's pretty cool. Speaking of Gene Wilder, did I tell you the story of basically how Gene Wilder said no for Mel Brooks to act in Young Frankenstein? No, you didn't. But it sounds like we should definitely talk about that in our Young Frankenstein podcast. I think that's a great idea. Let's do that. Yes. So (laughs) in the future, look for... Talking musical history, talk young Frankenstein. It'll happen. Not not next podcast, but it'll happen. It will be in the future. Yeah, and Gene Wilder, um, he he was super excited to have Gene Wilder a, a part of the show. Like he like uh, um, Gene Wilder did not want to be in a comedy. It was not. It's not. He he was a serious actor. Yes, a serious actor on Broadway. But seriously, like like the, the, the Gene Wilder that Gene thought he was before the producers and what he became like uh, uh, after that is just like not the same human being. But like, thank goodness for Mel Brooks for telling Gene Wilder that he's, he's, he does comedy. Like at the Oscars, when he won an Oscar for the producers, he, he thanked Zero Mostel. Definitely, he should have thanked Gang Bancroft, but whatever. We're, yeah. we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> he, he always has jokes, but, you know, he, like, he, he, he was definitely much more vocal about her, his love for her after her death. Maybe there was some feelings of, like, the original plan for the character that Kenneth Mars plays, Franz Lipkin, was... Dustin Hoffman. That would have been very... Dustin would have probably done a really good job with that. Probably scary job. He got called <laughs> for The Graduate. Yeah, and, and, and Bancroft's film. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's like everything connects, right? It's all connected. So so he, he's at the Oscars, and he thanks Zero Mastel, and, uh, and he thanks Gene Wilder three times. It was a super short Oscar speech, but like... He, he thanks Gene Wilder uh, three times. Well, Gene got zero to do it, basically. Yeah, and he helped, like, the two of them. Like, the film doesn't work without the two of them. That yeah. leads us to Broadway musical. of The Broadway, the, the Broadway you mean. Producers. <laughs> stepping into the role of Max Bialystok, which Bialystok is a place in Germany where there was a high concentration of Jews that unfortunately got murdered in the Holocaust. So that is partially, I think, why they name Max Bialystok. That's, you know, the names are very clever. Nathan Lane, coming fresh off of Guys and Dolls. He was fresh off of Nathan Detroit. And there was a lot of Nathan Detroit, I think, that was brought into that character of Max Bialystok. I've loved Nathan Lane. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> ever ever since I saw him in Birdcage. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's you know. a terrific actor. Um, definitely a hard worker. Uh, um, I wish I would 
have seen him in Guys and Dolls, I I, I think he would have been uh, incredible. Why is good old reliable Nathan? Nathan plays Nathan. Nathan. <laughs> Nathan plays Nathan Detroit. All right, you can hear all about that in our other podcast talking about Guys and Dolls. That's right. Please check that out. It was a lot of fun to make. And Nathan Lane was another Aquarian born February 3rd, 1956. I, I always love those facts. Yeah, no, I know. You, yeah. lo- you love the Aquarian connection. The, the Aquarian. Aquarius and queer. Magically entwined together. Uh, another Disney connection. Because of Kenneth Mars, who voiced uh, King Triton in the Disney classic Little Mermaid. Nathan Lane voices Timon in Lion King. But he he won a daytime Emmy for that. Like he he's he's been uh nominated a bunch of times for a primetime Emmy. Mm-hmm. Uh I I you know he should have a he should have a, a primetime oh, yeah. Emmy. I thought he came out earlier. But he came out publicly in nineteen ninety nine oh. after the death of Matthew Shepard. And has been a longtime board member of and fundraiser for Equity Cares, Equity Fights AIDS. He was honored with the Human Rights Campaign Equality Award, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Defamation League, uh, Vito, uh, Defamation Vito Russo Award. I did not know any of this. He's busy man. The Trevor Project Hero Award and the Matthew Shepard Foundation Making a Difference Award for his work in the LGBT community in 2015. On November 17th, 2015, he married his longtime partner, theater producer and writer, Devlin Elliott. Aww. <laughs> Devlin, that's so cute. And they are still together as far as we know. Oh, that's Because maybe I think he came out earlier because he was in The Birdcage and in Jeffrey. He was in Jeffrey before The Birdcage in between Lion King. And Jeffrey... Yeah, I never saw Jeffrey, but I mean, like, directed by Christopher Ashley. Paul Rudnick. Yeah, yeah, who wrote it, yeah. Stephen Weber, Sir Patrick Stewart, Michael T. Weiss, Sigourney Weaver. What the... How, yeah, we should check that out. Part of the gay classics. Yeah. He was also really amazing in The People vs. O.J. Simpson, uh, American Crime Story. That's right. I completely As forgot about F. that. Bailey, yeah. As F. Lee that. Bailey, yeah. 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 Wow. He's a kid's been all over the place. All right. And then we will move on to Matthew Broderick, who I will say, this is why I was confused in my musical theater brain. What do you mean? That I thought. Matthew Broderick was Tony Danza? Matthew Broderick was in Torch Song Trilogy with Harvey Firestein. And Harvey Firestein was Tevya. Ah, yeah, linkings, linkings. Nathan Lane was never Tevya, although he's on people's dream list to be Tevya. That's fair, yeah. Fellow musical theater podcaster Zane C. Weber of Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know. Right, right, right. I talked with him about it, and I said, yeah, from what I hear, you really love Zero Mostel. And he said, I do, but I really love Nathan Lane. Yeah, I really love Nathan Lane too. And and part of that, I, I agree. I'm, I'm saying yes. No, I mean yeah. zero. Zero originated the role in the producers mm-hmm. and like basically gave us like a lot of amazing roles 
the iconic, iconic, iconic roles. You know, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, War Games. The Brighton Beach Memoirs. Shall we play a game? Harris Bueller's Day Off. Yep. How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Biloxi Blues. Another Neil Simon, yeah. When you do Brighton Beach Memoirs, It'd be weird if he wasn't coming back for Biloxi Blues. <laughs> Godzilla, the Stepford Wives, Inspector Gadget. I, I, I love Matthew Broderick to death. Even with his semi-Nick Cage style uh, uh, acting, right? Like, cause like, you know, Nick Cage has these like really like Oscar worthy or like really like hyped, pumped films. And then there's other films you're like, what were you thinking, Nick? I remember seeing the movie The Freshman. And like I, I know no no one's talking about the movie The Freshman, but I thought Matthew Broderick did an amazing job in that. And like like in my eyes, he can do no wrong, even with Inspector Gadget. Nice work if you can get it. Right? And you can get it if you're Matthew Broderick. No, no. that he's been married to Sarah Jessica Parker, Sex in the City herself, since um nineteen ninety seven. He started acting apparently the year I was born. Awesome. He started acting the year you were born. That's funny. He didn't know about me, obviously. He still doesn't know about me. Yeah, this uh, was was Max Dugan the the first actual film that he did. But uh, I I I always say War Games because War Games is such a good film. I think a lot of people could learn from War Games. The oh, best yeah. way to win is to not play at all. Oh, he was a voice in the uh, Adventure Time. Oh, really? He does yeah. it in Adventure Time, too? That's fun. Yeah, and Rick and Morty. Well, yeah, of course, the cat and Rick and Morty. Gosh, why would I not mention that? Yeah. Like, if you're not watching Rick and Morty, uh, I'm sorry, but... And, and BoJack Horseman. Oh, yeah, BoJack Horseman as well. But, like, Matthew Broderick as a cat is like, <laughs> why ask questions? <laughs> uh, so, it, he he's... And also, he was in, the, what, uh, the Roseanne... Uh, um, Sec, uh, uh, the Connors. Who's oh, in the Connors, right? Yeah, yeah. I thought he was like that was a, a really great character arc. And then are we moving on to um, Uma Thurman? Oh yeah, if you got it, flaunt it. If you got it, flaunt it. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Uma Thurman is such an incredible actress. Like, and I, you know, when I heard she was going to be in the producers, uh, uh, I was like. I don't know, like maybe she's she's pretty cool, but she she just like constantly surprises me with like how phenomenal of an actor she is, like like uh, like Gattaca, yeah, Gattaca and Batman and Robin, <laughs> like how, how does how, and then Kill Bill, she was in Les Miserables, the non musical version, and she was about cats and dogs, which was which was fun. Yeah, no, that was and, a fun film, and then. Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. That's also nice work if you can get it. She's had an amazing yeah. film career. She was also in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen from Terry Gilliam of Monty Python. I'm just realizing I'm upset that Uma Thurman doesn't have uh, an Oscar. I realize that like she has been nominated for basically uh, working with Quentin Tarantino, but she she doesn't. <laughs> Like, that's so weird to me. Well, and then she was also in a movie called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. It's by Gus Van Sant and novel by Tim Robbins. She's really big thumbs. And she hitchhikes. Really big thumbs? Really big thumbs. Oh. I bet she can. And 
pull get all the cars to pull over with those thumbs. In the mu- I, well, the the whole reason why, you know, folks in the the queer community, more lesbian, I'll say specific community, love that movie is because Katie Lang. It must be hard to button a shirt being all thumb. Katie Lang was um, the music. So I remember loving that, mainly because of of her. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's another you know cool movie to check out. Pulp Fiction is another one that she was really great in. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's what she was nominated for an Oscar. I, I honestly think she probably deserves more than just that. Yeah, totally. Looking back at Kill Bill. She she probably deserved she like she makes that film work like and and it's a really well made film I'm it not saying is. that it's 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 bad I'm just saying that like she is the unifying factor that just makes it go well because the original like Ula like really didn't go anywhere I'm sorry like Uma U- Uma is Lula Lee Meredith I don't remember her. I mean, I do, but I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remember because I, we watched the movie. So we remember her from the movie, but I can't name offhand another name, another movie that she's well, been. Well, She's from a different generation, to be fair. But to be fair, I know a lot of people from yesteryear and she's not one that rolls off my tongue. I mean, I get it. Like, and it's really it's really funny um, to think about because like Mel Brooks does a really good job of like picking like good female characters to fill roles and oh, like yeah. not like not to say anything like Madeline Kahn you know whatever yeah. um but it's just interesting obviously Anne Bancroft um it's just really interesting like because like Uma like she 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 made that role she made that role work for her like that was phenomenal I did not know she could sing I'll be honest I was like oh man um is this gonna be another one of those like Les Miserables um you should not have let certain people sing kind of moments um, or Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia. She knocked it out of the park and I was so surprised in such a good way. I think my tongue got tied earlier and I said Lula instead of Ula. Ula dance? Yes, Ula la. Remember when Ula dance? Ula dance again! <laughs> Oh, I guess she got hit by... She got hit by a bus, too? She got hit by a car. It was during, apparently, during... Um, like Kill Bill? Yeah, Kill Bill car crash. Unfortunately, she is a victim of Harvey Weinpig. He had a lot of, he had a lot of victims. But she is a strong yeah. democratic democratic supporter. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. And for human rights, she's a she's a strong woman rights. in general. She also participated at human rights campaign for the LGBT rights, saying, "We're fighting for a conservative value, the right to make a lifelong commitment to someone you love." She also joined the Rhino Rescue Project and traveled to Southern Africa to assist and help relocating the threatened species of black rhinoceroses. She's out there doing the things. You know, I can't be too mad at her for doing more films because she, she's constantly busy and she like uh, 
puts out good work when she shows up. So and she puts her money where her mouth is. Like this is like amazing. And she spoke up against Roy Moore as well in Alabama. <laughs> right. Like it's one thing to be a celebrity, and if you can act, great, wonderful. You are are amazing. But if you are someone who has like worthwhile causes that are not the safe safe and easy to put your money where your mouth is for the non-safe causes are really awesome it really is definitely and that's to me what makes you more important as an actual celebrity agreed and then we move on to will ferrell yeah (laughs) um like uh, uh, just like I feel like Dustin Hoffman uh, would have done an amazing role, I feel like Will Ferrell does an incredible role uh, 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 with it because Will Ferrell is just as serious about acting as Dustin Hoffman, but he's a comedian. Let's get things serious because like you can't you can't uh, uh, Mafusu right? Was that is that how you say it? Zoolander. I've seen it. What? It's a movie I've seen. Never mind. I'm sorry. There are certain movies I just don't get. I'm sorry, and that's one of them. Really? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 a terrific film. The 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 scene where they're like um, having a gasoline fight, mm-hmm. and he walks away, and they they accidentally uh, uh, light a fire with their smoking and having a gasoline fight at a gas station. It's pretty. You don't need much imagination, I would hope. <laughs> but it's a hilarious film. It really is. Uh, I think. I don't know. Some people are like ah, stupid humor. No, I mean, I can. I mean, I'm a fan of some of his his work. I do like the you know the stuff that he's done on SNL. Elf. Elf was pretty good. I'm not someone who wants to watch it every single Christmas. You no know, Christmas. No is not that kind of movie for me, but it is still a good movie. Step Brothers. I mean, it, it is, you know. Did you see Step Brothers? No. Oh, that's too bad. It's yeah. a great. It's pretty funny. I, I laughed through that whole film. I did see uh, Blades of Glory. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a great film. Um, I, I saw Lego Movie multiple times. That was really good. <laughs> it's pretty funny in Lego Movie, too. Megamind. I saw Megamind. Yes, he does an incredible job uh, lending the voice to Megamind. I did see Anchorman, Legend of Ron Burgundy. Yes, yes, his uh, terrific <laughs> mahogany. You know, so I, I mean, I am a fan. He is, he has done some good stuff. And I'm sure he, he smelled better than the original Franz Lipkin because he apparently did not shower. Oh, that's too bad. But it, but it was the 60s. Uh, no, no, this was like um, really intense method acting. He used to sleep in his costume. Oh, I see. Yes. Well, yes, that'll do it too. He admits uh, how crazy he was. But to be fair, intense method acting was also the 60s. That is true. But yeah, I mean, uh, Will Ferrell does a great W impression uh, from SNL and uh, Robert Goulet and uh, inside the actor's studio, James Lipton. Yeah. Uh, those are ones that like stick out yeah but uh uh like him and his like when, when he's doing his little crazy eye thing uh it like it it, it it it's so good for 
it's, it's, he just is so much fun to watch on on stage and in screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we are not done talking about the producers. This is going to be another three-part episode series. Ooh, Kevin has finally been turned to the three-part dark side. Oh, yeah. There's so much more to the story. Yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot uh, going on. And just the idea of, like, how, like, something like this works. But, like, you know, honestly... Um, when I was when I was going to film school, one of the things we talked about specifically and like why like when like why the producers like when I saw that because like the producers wasn't the first uh, Mel Brooks film I saw. Um, I, like I saw that after I understood that like the producers was possible. That's that's kind of how we we have things set up in this country. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that and just how. Uh, 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 you know, basically, white supremacy plays in all of that, unfortunately. Yeah, and we have references as well for those of you that listened to this or watched this and was like, wait, what? Why? Why are they talking about this? What's the connection? What could possibly be the connection? There's always a connection, folks. We will talk more about all of that. Yes, in our next podcast. Yes. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you as well. Um, you can always go and visit our Patreon if you want to help uh, expand and improve on the quality of our podcast. We do use our money uh, to go into that. So it's like, uh, um, you know, we'll uh, upgrade just like in the, the, the Sims. Like, you know, every time you upgrade the home and the Sims get happier and they do better work and it's great. Patreon.com slash Stonewall the Musical. We will see you back next time with part two of the podcast talking musical history with the producers i'm kevin and i'm chris it's history it's history very dark history it's history our history very 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 dark history We spend our whole life learning our history and stuff. It's history. Finding the truth abounding with menches and schmucks. It's history. Research is our true desire. Go down the rabbit hole. Give knowledge to inspire. Discussing comic gold. Learn about facts on our podcast. Sharing history is our goal. Have a few laughs with our podcast. Infotainment for your soul. Skip to the past on our podcast. Talking about the rabbit hole. Musical history podcast. Knowing the truth will make you whole.